0: You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.
1: Welcome to Queen City Church. We are really glad you're here. I, I wanted to say this during worship. I was thinking about everybody that showed up for church today. And I wanted to say thank you for coming to church. Um, it's not always the easiest thing to do. There's a lot of reasons for not doing it, and, and the way I view it now, it's kind of like a punk rock countercultural thing to do in this cultural moment that we're living in. Um, the fact that we would gather together as the people of God and sing songs and pray and listen to the word of God preached is, um, well, it's really important. It's really important that we do this, amen? Amen. And uh, the team, we we had about 12 people gathered up front today, and we were just, we were in prayer, and I was saying to our team, you know, here's the thing about Christians. We believe in prayer, you know? I mean, that's stating the obvious, but sometimes, at least in my life, I've forgotten that basic essential of the Christian faith. And I feel the Lord bringing me back to the fundamentals of Christian faith. And um, if you were here two weeks ago or if you heard it online, two weeks ago I, I began a series called Shelter from the Storm. And my message was about finding shelter in God. And even that, that message is kind of an old message. And it kind of feels like old hat. But I, I have this sense right now that the Holy Spirit is beckoning his people Back to the basics, and before I start this message out, I want us to practice giving shelter to somebody else who is actually in our congregation. Um, they're not here today, but if you haven't heard, Ryan and Sarah Stevens—it's um, it's kind of—it's—it's uh, it's tough. So Ryan lost his brother about uh, seven or eight days ago to cancer. And then in the course of that happening, Ryan and Sarah got got COVID and they're in bed. And um, so they actually weren't able to make uh, it to the funeral on Saturday. So all that to say, that family is in a moment of profound weakness. And when I'm in a moment of profound weakness, I need people to gather around me and help me. And they're not here this morning but I would really like us as a family to pray over their family. Would you, would you help me do that? So um, I'm going to ask Blake and Hillary Edwards to come up right now, and they're going to lead us just in a prayer of peace over the Stevens family. And um, I, I don't really quite know how to set this up, but to be just as frank, just to be as frank as I can. Uh, I was, I was thinking through the service last night and I knew I wanted to pray over Ryan and Sarah because, you know, Ryan lost his brother. And, and I was saying to Amy, I was saying, God is such a mystery to me. I don't really understand how all of this prayer stuff works. But, but I think the only move I have left is just to continually lean into trusting him that the way he said or told us to do this is the way that we should do it and and Blake and Hillary lost they lost their own brother and brother-in-law to cancer not that long ago it's been four four months ago now today today's the day the anniversary and um I, I'm sorry, this is gonna be a little crass, but I said to I said to Blake, I just really love to kick the devil in the nuts this morning. And and I I want I want I want fear to come off of people and the faith of Jesus to pour into people. And we're gonna resist despair, we're gonna resist apathy. We're going to resist hopelessness with this simple prayer this morning. And and I'll tell you what, Blake and Hillary are broken vessels. And, and there is something to be said about an authority that comes with carrying brokenness. So you might not even have faith for it this morning, but I'm telling you, these folks do. And so we're going to just add our agreement to their prayer And we're going to offer shelter to the Stevens family this morning, okay?
2: Lord, um, we come to you broken, and um, knowing that you're not afraid of that, knowing that you want us in our brokenness, and um, we come knowing that you are our king and also our father and that you can bear and hold so much more than we have the audacity to give to you. Um, so we give you, um, our anger, um, and we give you our tears and we also give you our worship. We know that, um, we can do both, and um, we thank you for um, having the final say over death and over the grave. Yeah. We thank you that um, it does sting death does sting, but it's not the final feeling, and it's not the final um, it's not the final word, and that um, you are in the business of redemption and um pray that you would, um, supernaturally be with Sarah and Ryan right now, um, that they would feel your arms hugging around them as their father, that they would feel your light, the light of your face as their King. And, um, and we thank you that this is not the end, um, Please hold us and show us how to love one another and support one another until we get to the end, until we get to the other side and um, all the tears are wiped away. Thank you for that promise and um, we ask that it sustains us in Jesus' name.
0: I'm going to incorporate pulling the audience into this prayer, but raise your hand if you are experiencing any level of disappointment right now raise your hand and raise your hand if you're experiencing any level of favor and you can be the same person and that's allowed and it's very uh present it's a very real thing and so lord we want to take you can put your hands down if you want we want to take uh the power from uh, this group of people from these witnesses and from their testimonies of disappointment and victory, and when, especially when those things are existing at the same time. And we want to take that authority and the fact that people are surviving their disappointments and maintaining their belief. And we want to cover Ryan and Sarah and the Stevens family with that, Lord Jesus, with the reality of your presence and that you exist in the disappointments and in favor. Um, and we love you that it's okay to acknowledge that sometimes we're not really impressed with your batting average. But that we can still come to you and, and say that and continue uh, to sit at your feet, Lord, and whatever unique qualifications that, that we have, whether it was because Ryan and Sarah did meet at my apartment, that's true, they did, or it's because that Ryan and I both, both lost a brother. I lost Jordan, he lost Daryl. Um, cover them, Holy Spirit. We plead your blood over them, Lord, for their healing. Um, We ask that you would bind cancer in Jesus' name. We ask that you would bind COVID right now, specifically over the Stevens right now in Jesus' name. We believe in your healing blood, Lord, and we plead that blood and that healing over the Stevens right now in Jesus' name, 100%. We thank you for your open arms and your open table to come and sit with you, Lord, no matter where we are or where you and us are together. Thanks for your openness for that honest relationship. We love you and we thank you. And bless Queen City Church. Amen. Thank you, Andy.
1: It's it's funny that in... Shelly's introduction of me that she said I was a poet because I had this funny thing happen to me this week. I I made this observation. Well, I made the mistake of making an observation online. But I said I said that poetry was a better language to describe God than systematic theology was. And, and somebody said that I was a false teacher. And uh, and so rather than defend my position, I said to that person, well, not only am I a false teacher, but I'm a terrible poet, too. <laughs> you know, you just sometimes have to not suffer knuckleheads and just just don't get in an argument. You know, just whatever shot they want to take at you, just take it. You know, it's it's no no use to argue, man. I One of the things that I've been discovering about following the Lord and living life is that that. uh It's like the more difficulties that I encounter, the more my heart breaks, the greater my capacity to love God becomes. It's so weird how that works. It's like you don't want to invite this type of stuff into your life, but it's like it's not always the case, but at least from what I've experienced so far, is that the breaking or the crushing that I've experienced in my being has only driven me to worship and love God more. And it was so interesting because I was thinking about it, and there's that passage in Ecclesiastes where it talks about that eternity is in the heart. Eternity is in the human heart. And I just got this image of like that that expansion of eternity happens because the heart is unable to hold it. It's like we're not meant for just this temporal life on earth. We're meant for something much more, you know. And we're kind of in that in-between state of, of um, navigating a season where there are tears, a season where there is disappointment and unanswered prayer. But, but what I'm finding out is that there's this great pleasure associated with I don't want to say suffering but like finding out that you can make it through anything. There's a pleasure associated connected with that no matter what you go through you're going to make it. I mean even if you don't make it you're going to make it. You know everybody talks about Christians should be doing all the things that Jesus did. I get some I get confused by that sometimes like there's this, there's a lot of theology that says that we're supposed to like lay hands on the sick and they'll recover, you know, pray for the dead and they'll come back to life and walk on water and all that. And it's like, I, I kind of get that. I I do. I really do. But, but as I was thinking through that, I realized, you know, that there's this one thing that Jesus did that we're all guaranteed to do, which is Die. We're all going to pass through that fire, but Jesus passed through it first. And his resurrection is in advance of our resurrection. My kids and I were on vacation. Amy and I were on vacation in Virginia with the kids and we were sitting around the campfire one night. And we began to talk about eschatology. We were talking about what we believed about the end. And and we began to talk about dying and going to heaven And it was such an interesting conversation because some of my kids didn't know that the orthodox Christian view of our eternal hope is not a disembodied soul that goes to heaven someday. It's a resurrected body on the earth someday. Your final destination isn't a disembodied disembodied. Uh, 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 existence apart from your body it's that someday your body will get up out of the ground and you will be fully redeemed in it that's good news there was such a relief that happened with some of my kids around the fire when they heard that they were like really i've never heard that before dad why haven't you told us so shame on me but uh this morning i'm talking about the shelter of jesus the radical shelter of jesus i want to start out with two verses There's two scriptures that came to my mind this week. One is, this is found in the book of Luke, men's hearts will fail them because of fear. Have You ever heard Jesus say that? He's given this apocalyptic description of the scene that's gonna take place. And so I'm kind of taking this scripture out of context, but it still rings true. Men's hearts fail them when they get afraid. And then there's this other scripture that I love. It goes like this, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. So we got two descriptions there. Some people are losing it because they have a tremendous amount of fear inhabiting the most important part of their being, which is your heart. And other people Their flesh is failing, their heart is failing, but they are not failing because they are not the strength of their heart, but God is. And that's really important. There's this really compelling story that I recently heard that I want to tell you this morning. On January 13th, 2018, at exactly 8.07 in the morning, Everyone with a cell phone on the island of Hawaii received an emergency message that an impending ballistic missile attack had been launched at the island of Hawaii. The message said quickly get indoors. And it ended with this. This is not a drill. If you had a cell phone on that morning on the islands of Hawaii, you got this message. Ballistic missiles approaching, didn't say whether they had nuclear warheads attached, but nevertheless, things were about to get very bad on the islands of Hawaii. This is not a drill, means this is going down, and all of a sudden, everybody's inner hierarchy of priorities shifted. What manifested from this event? is what you would probably expect. An overwhelming sense of terror and panic wreaked havoc on everyone on the islands. 911 lines were overrun with calls. People were running to get their kids from school. There is one story of a husband and wife who were on the beach collecting seashells when they got the message. The man began vomiting uncontrollably, and because they could not get through to 911, his wife drove him to the hospital where his heart stopped beating and he lived through it but the doctor's diagnosis was that his heart had literally failed him from fear so this isn't just poetry that we see this isn't descriptive language that we see it is an actuality that if you let fear take over your heart it can have the potential to actually take you physically out This event unfolded in the span of 38 minutes and reactions varied, but ultimately it was revealed that there was no actual imminent threat of attack. And the original emergency message that was sent out was supposed to read, this is only a drill. You know, a lot of people were mad about that. Because all of a sudden, all of the coping mechanisms and techniques that people use to keep the existential questions at bay were all of a sudden right in front of them. Folks were in 38 minutes confronted with the temporariness of this life. And those who had not found sufficient shelter in something ultimately melted down. In one way or another, hearts had failed because of fear. Of course, this was a horrible and unnecessary incident caused by human error. But for the people who experienced the expectation of their impending doom, something very important was revealed on that day. People need shelter. People need shelter. In this moment of crisis, people were told to look for shelter and no one could find shelter strong enough to To protect them from their fear of death. But here is the basic Christian hope, y'all. Christ is our shelter. Christ is our shelter. I want to read you this passage in Hebrews 2. I found it a couple years and it's been encouraging me constantly. It's a fascinating uh, a passage. If you've ever read the book of Hebrews, it's kind of a tough book. There's a lot happening there. Um, I, I'm going to draw this this text out of a broader study in Hebrews, but I still think it fits what we're talking about this morning. <clears throat> I'm going to start in verse 10 of Hebrew. Uh, verse 10. I think it's chapter four. Oh yeah, chapter two. Yeah, we got this. All right. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through through everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Who is the pioneer of our salvation? Christ. All right. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call you and I brothers and sisters. And he says, I will declare your name, God, to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. This is such an interesting passage right here. Jesus is actually quoting the Psalms here, whoever the writer of Hebrews is, is saying there's kind of this, this thing happening back and forth between God, the father and God, the son. And Jesus has done this work to bring all of us into the shelter of his relationship with God. And he's saying, I've made these folks holy. I'm not ashamed of them. I'm going to tell you about them. Jesus has brought us into the shelter of the relationship between Him and His Father, but it gets better than that even. Since the children have flesh and blood, He too shared in their humanity so that by His death, He might break the power of Him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And here is the cost of it. This is, this is the, this is why we bought the ticket right here. And free those who all their lives were held in the slavery of their fear of death. You know, this is one of the main reasons why the gospel is good news. This is one of the main reasons why the good news is the good news. It's because it solves one of the elemental issues that every person has to deal with in their lives. There are all kinds of problems that we're trying to solve in this life, right? Sometimes we are trying to figure out how to pay the bills. Sometimes we're trying to overcome a physical ailment. But sometimes the fears that we have are much bigger existential issues. And as we see from this passage in Hebrews, and in the story that I just told you, many people are held in captivity and oppression to their fear of death. This message is called the radical shelter of jesus prior to this moment when jesus comes to the earth there was a distinct promise to the people of israel but jesus shows up and he says hey there was a particular peculiar promise to this one nation now i'm opening up the party to everybody the guy who wrote Psalm 46, the guy who wrote Psalm 91, they're declaring that God is their shelter, that they put their trust in God. They have found their hope in God. And Jesus comes to the earth and says, I'm changing everything. The revolution is on. Anybody who doesn't want to be afraid of death anymore, the party has begun. And it's so interesting how sometimes... We lose sight of this in our daily lives, isn't it? We see from this passage in Hebrews and in the story that so many folks are held in captivity and oppression by their fear of death. This is why the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news because Jesus is the manifestation of the end of all of our fears. If you're in Christ today, you have a legitimate claim to not being afraid anymore. You have a legitimate claim to never fearing again, even when you are looking death in the face. Even when you look loss in the face, like real and actual, not, we're not gonna, like, bypass the reality of death. Even when you're looking it in the face, you have a legitimate claim to never being afraid again because of the shelter that Christ offers you and I. You know why it's important for us to gather as believers, because we need to remind each other of this, because when we're walking through this world, it is really easy to forget, isn't it? There's a whole lot of other messaging happening. There's a whole lot of fear messaging, fear mongering going on in the world. And we have to come back to submitting ourselves to the word of God over and over, not because it's a heavy burden, because it frees us from heavy burdens, So last time I spoke, I talked about Psalm 46 and 91. 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains... Tremble and fall. You know, it's so interesting reading that scripture in light of what could have happened on the islands of Hawaii. I mean, I've always thought of that as metaphoric. I've always thought of that was like poetic imagery. But there are times and places where mountains fall into the sea. There are times and places where catastrophes occur. I think the Psalms are much realer than we've, we've actually thought. But But what's so interesting about Psalm 46, this verse that I've just read, it says that God is present in trouble. He doesn't take you around trouble. He's present in trouble. If you're looking for God's presence, you might find it in trouble. I think I spent a lot of my energy looking for God's presence in the places that aren't troublesome. I don't know. It's a good hobby to have. You don't need to go looking for trouble. Live a good life, make good decisions, get a good job. Marry someone nice, have some children, don't have some kids, whatever, whatever makes you happy. Do good in your life. But there are times when we're going to find out the presence of God in no other place except in trouble. We're going to find out that we need the shelter of God in our lives because there's something for us to be sheltered from. God is present in times of trouble, but here's the thing. Not everybody knows that sometimes I forget that reality. So, so because I'm forgetful, I confess it because I'm forgetful. I confess that God is my shelter and strength. He's the strength of my heart. I say it out of my mouth. I say it out of my being. Like it says in Psalm 91, I will say of the Lord. I will say of the Lord, he is my shelter, he is my fortress, my God, in him I will trust. You know, if you say that out loud, you're doing better than not saying it. If you say Psalm 91, if you say this out loud, I will say of the Lord, he is my shelter and my fortress, my God, in him I will trust. You're doing better than not saying it. You're doing better saying it out loud than saying it in your mind. You know, you believe your mouth more than you believe your mind. That's why I talk all the time. I'm trying to talk myself into the things of the Lord. And when I'm talking myself out of the things of the Lord, I'm able to convince myself. And the tongue is powerful. The mouth is powerful. When I'm cynical and sarcastic and jaded, and I got ugliness coming out of my mouth. Guess what goes? Faith goes. Belief goes. Following Jesus goes. I stop being a Christian and I become Christianish. I forget the basic things that gave me life early on. And I'm not saying you don't need to shake things up. I, that's why I read. Broadly. I read poetry. I, I read people that have different ideas. I, I like to explore the world of ideas. I like to consider other things. It helps me connect the dots. You know, I don't want to go, you know, I don't know. I got to be careful what I'm saying right now, but it, you know, Christian faith is not, is, is not being stupid for as long as you can, you know, this is my tribe. The, 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 the people that I love, I love people that speak in tongues and read books. You know, I like people who raise the dead and watch TED Talks. Like, I just feel like there's a really beautiful convergence of, of, of the spirit and the mind that the Lord wants to raise up in the body of Christ. You know, like when people come to our church, it's not just the signs and wonders that people are impressed by. It's, it's it's that, oh, wow, these people actually know what they're talking about. There's a witness in that. There's a testimony to that. There's a reason why the apostle Peter said, study the scriptures, have an answer, have an answer. You don't always have to have an answer, but sometimes maybe you should. You know, I've been thinking through the idea of what it means to be an evangelical. The word evangelical has kind of gotten a little poisoned lately. There's a lot of people like that are kind of abandoning that label because there's a lot of baggage connected to it. And I just have to say, um, I love being a Christian and I love telling people about Jesus because he's so awesome. He is worth knowing. My reason for telling people about Christ is not so that they don't burn in hell for all eternity. It's because God is good and he is worth knowing. And my life is way better under the shelter of Jesus than out of it. And I run into people who have made uh, deconstructionism their, their main philosophical hermeneutic and their life is in shambles because of it. And I'm not saying you shouldn't deconstruct, but at some point you better start constructing again. At some point you better start confessing your faith again because that is the thing. That's the lifeblood of your heart. The fountain of life is the man Christ Jesus himself and you want to get nearer to him, not farther away from him. He's so good, y'all. We have believed lies about the Lord. We've had let other people tell the church what we've known, what we thought was right about Jesus. We've had people convince us away from that. And and you know what? To make it real, real to you, the reason why I'm preaching about shelter is because I've needed it. The reason why I'm talking to you about belief is because I've needed it. The reason why I'm talking about prayer is because I've needed it. Because I've made this journey, I've made this swing, I've messed around enough times, I've spent enough energy messing around out here in the uncertainty that I lost ground, not just in my spiritual life, but in my practical life too. Now, I wish I could say that when my spiritual life is like hitting on all cylinders, everything else in my life is going to go great. There's a lot of preachers that will tell you that. That message actually fills seats. I'd actually tell you that there is no formula to that. Sometimes you can be doing really well in your spiritual life and really great in your practical life. And sometimes you can be doing really poorly in your spiritual life and you can be doing really well in your practical life. That's why this gets so confusing for folks. That's why we have to remind each other to stick with Jesus, stay with Christ. He's worth staying with. I was having a conversation with a friend last night and we were talking about the power of staying somewhere for a really long time. That is not a sexy idea. We live in a culture that where when Something is unpleasant, it's time to bail. When things get difficult, it's time to go find a better situation. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying stay in abusive, manipulative situations. But I am saying that sometimes you will not get the victory that you desire until you stay for a really long time. I said it the last time I, I spoke that patience is solidarity with the speed of God. If you want to join yourself to what God is doing, you're going to have to set your watch by him. If you want to know what God is doing, you have to be patient in order to see the fruit of what you desire. Sometimes really good projects take a decade to get off the ground. You know, a lifelong marriage will take you 40 or 50 years to get really good. I mean, you'll have some really good moments between the first day and the last day. But you know, me and Amy, man, we're banking on having a great time. Like we've been married for 27 years. We're banking on that our best years are still in front of us. And there were plenty of times when we could have given up, maybe should have given up. But we knew that staying has a power attached to it that you cannot get any other way. Man, I got off my notes. I'm so sorry. So not everybody knows that God is present in times of trouble. I forget this reality, so I have to confess to myself that I will say of the Lord that he is my shelter and strength. Today, oh man, I want to continue this theme of shelter because when I look around my little world, I see many, many people living without the shelter of God in their life. But I want to first say this, and I think I've already kind of said it when I was riffing without my notes. It is possible to live a reasonably happy life without God. I'm just going to tell you that. It's possible. You can give time and energy to other things and other pursuits, and you can live a relatively good life. People do it all the time. Christians do it all the time. I've done it. I know, I actually know people who live without God, and honestly, I I sometimes think that people who don't follow Jesus are better off. I'm sorry for saying that. I'm just telling you my observation. But well, I've said this already, but I'm gonna say it again. Folks who were once Christians are now just Christianish. Folks that were once kind of in Jesus was the center of their orbit, they're now on the outskirts of the of the universe. They're just like, you know, for for whatever reason. But every time. I don't find my daily shelter and help in God. I wind up in a famished and lean and cynical land. And my tenderness goes down and my sarcasm goes up. The shelter of Jesus provides meaning for me when the world is only ever offering me meaninglessness. For the most part, Folks are not going to live without shelter, without something to protect them from the hostility of the world. Did you know that if you don't take shelter in Christ, you will seek shelter in something? It's, it's not a case of seeking shelter in Christ and just living without shelter. It's you're sheltered in the Lord or you're sheltered in something else. If you don't take shelter in Christ, you might have to take shelter in politics. You'll have to take shelter in whatever political opinion that you have. If you don't take shelter in Christ, you will have to take shelter in the pursuit of pleasure. And pleasure isn't necessarily a bad thing. God has given us so much to enjoy. But pleasure makes a horrible shelter. The experience of pleasure can never be the Christian's main end goal. Pleasure for its own sake is just a way to keep despair at bay. It's nothing more than a distraction that eventually loses its ability to satisfy. But Christ is the way to seeing and experiencing the things of his creation in a way that leads to fruitfulness and happiness. So, I was thinking about this, about pleasure and in connection with my relationship with the Lord. And I know not everybody has come to this conclusion, but for me, food just tastes better when I'm eating with Christ. Wine just tastes more delicious when I'm drinking with Christ. My relationships with my family and my friends are more robust when they are brought under the shelter of Christ. So. I want to read another passage of scripture. It's an extraordinary passage. I'm, I'm very sure it's familiar to you. It's from the New Testament. And it really sets the stage for this Jesus' radical shelter that I've been talking about this morning. And it's, it's in Luke chapter four. And, and Jesus has been baptized and he's gone through the wilderness with Satan and he's been tested and he's passed the test. And he's ready to get his ministry started because it's time. And the first thing that Jesus does after he comes out of the wilderness is that he goes to church. He goes back to his hometown of Nazareth. And the scripture says that he goes to the synagogue as was his custom. Jesus had the habit of going to church. And it says in the text that Jesus stood up And someone handed him the scroll of the book of Isaiah, and he found the place where it was written. And then he began to read out loud, "The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to to give uh, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed." To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now. I'm just thinking about all of those many people that were scurrying around. The state of Hawaii. In chaos. And in distress. And it's almost like. They had not heard this good news before. It was almost like the people that were testifying to their frantic Uh, just, they were just so afraid at their impending doom. It was like this, this gospel, this good news had never penetrated their hearts before. Because what Jesus is really telling people in this moment is that He has come to shelter people. He has come to shelter people with the good news. He has come to shelter people. Shelter is a form of healing. Shelter is a form of wholeheartedness. Shelter is a form of liberty from fear of all kinds. Shelter is a form of seeing. This proclamation that Jesus reads, it was a prophecy when Isaiah gave it thousands of years previous, but when Jesus spoke it, it became a moment releasing a radical new reality on earth. And these words may be poetic, but we can't just chalk them up to mere poetry. They are the beginning of the revolution. They are a new revelation and they are instruction. They are the beginning formation of a new way of being human. I want you to think about this. If you have fear in operation in your life, in any place, that means that you haven't fully discovered what it means to be truly human. Like, fear is the default. It's the thing that has always been anxiety has been in operation since the fall. But Jesus came to stop that old way of human being. And he's proclaiming shelter over people so that they can discover the actual way of being human, which at its basis is not to be afraid. That's the starting point, y'all. God was the shelter of his beloved Israel, but now he has become the shelter to all nations. And he has set in motion his plan for all flesh to see the salvation of God. That's in Luke 3, 6. I I love scriptures like that. Things that say that all flesh, that everybody is gonna see the salvation of God. That's crazy, the implications of that. Are so hopeful and massive. I just, I just get scriptures like that when I come across them. I'm like, what? What did that say? Is that in the Bible? All flesh will see the salvation of God. Oh my God. I got to turn the page. That's dangerous. But Jesus has, he has brought this good news to everyone on that list, that list of people, the poor, the blind, the oppressed, the captive. He's bringing good news to to these people who have only ever heard bad news. And isn't it interesting that at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry, he starts with those who are without support systems. He starts with people who are without shelter. He primarily reaches out to people like you and me, which is really just to say that he is reaching out to people Who know that they need help. You know, people who don't know that they need help don't need God. People who don't know that they need help don't need God. This is why Jesus was like bypassing the pharisees and scribes and going to the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the wine bibbers because those people were aware that they needed help those people were aware that something was wrong those people were aware that they needed shelter those people were aware that they needed to run into god in their life and jesus runs into them and he says i've got good news for you baby I have come to set you free. I've come to restore your sight. I've I've come to give you liberty. I've come to give you shelter. So I'm closing out. I'm closing this message out. If if you've got your bread and wine, your cup of bread and wine, we're gonna close out this morning by taking communion. We've got folks in the back. If If you don't have your communion stuff, just raise your hand. We've got some ushers that are going to come through and You know, people ask me all the time, Andy, why are you so sad? (laughs) Really, really, my answer is this heavy pen, light heart. That's what I say. Heavy pen, light heart. And what I mean is I, I write heavy. I speak heavy, but that is, that is the process of my faith journey with Jesus. That's the way I spend time with the Lord. That's how I figure my life with God out. But I would say that brokenness is a gift. You, you don't have to be afraid of being sad. You don't have to be afraid of experiencing sadness. You don't have to be afraid of experiencing brokenness because it really is in that space that you're able to receive so much from the Father. And I hate that that reality is, is true, but man, from my experience, that's just the way this thing works. And what better way as a, as a group of people this morning to celebrate our found foundedness like jesus found us and he has given so much to us hasn't he jesus has given so much to us and what better way to together come under the shelter of christ with all of our different varying degrees of life some of you might just be fiery spiritual people some of you may feel as dead as a dry leaf. Either way, the pay is the same. The grace of God is fully available to you in in whatever space that you're at right now. And you can come to Christ this morning and receive a greater degree of his shelter this morning. I mean, we're doing it right now, just in our togetherness. But why don't we do what the Bible says to do and take the Lord's Supper together and in remembrance of him, break this bread. Let's just take that wafer and I'll offer this prayer. Jesus, we're so grateful for the Holy Spirit that you've poured out this morning, for the work that you've done in our hearts this morning. We are so thankful to you for leading us to green pastures, for leading us out of fear, for leading us out of confusion and heartbreak, for leading us out of despair. Lord, right now, I just pray for anybody who has just especially felt a sense of depression in their life. God, we pray right now, this broken bread over them, that you would just be their bread of life this morning you would be their bread of life and that you would feed them the deep and satisfying gift of your body and lord we thank you for the wine of your blood the love that you poured out we cherish this lord we cherish this we we say thank you for the cross Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you for your ascension. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, y'all, oh, yeah, come on up, come on up. I'm gonna hand this over to Shelly, but I do want to tell you guys that next week, I think this is right, correct me if I'm wrong, We got Ray, we got Ray, we got Ray Hollenbach preaching next week. You do not want to miss it. Ray's an incredible father. If you have a friend that you would like to invite to church and you've been looking for an opportunity, bring them next week because Ray has such a easy spirit about him. He never yells like I do. He's just, he's very nice and Gentle, Amy, Amy always compares him to Winnie the Pooh, you know, but he's much more dangerous than that, you know. But anyways, you don't want to miss it.
0: You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.